excited. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to, uh, let's start in Romans chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 1. We're still talking about we are the righteous. Amen. Say that with me. Say, I am the righteous because of what Jesus did. Amen. So I don't know what part we're on. It's probably like part, what, seven or something like that. But <laughs> we're just going to keep walking through uh, this. It's so interesting because as you are studying this out, uh, it's getting to the point now where I'm looking at entire chapters and you kind of don't want to leave parts of stuff out. So uh, is it okay if we study the Bible tonight? Amen. So we're going to start in Ro uh, Romans, what did I say, chapter 10? Yeah, and we'll start at verse 1. And I actually want to look at this in the Amplified. So if you have your Amplified versions of your Bible, uh, feel free to crack those open. And let's look at that. Um, bef bef well, let me, let, let's just start reading. It says in verse 1, Brethren, with all my heart's desires and goodwill for Israel, I long and pray to God that they may be, what's that word? Saved. Saved. So uh, Paul is writing... And he's saying, you know, I, I long and pray uh, to God uh, that they, speaking of the children of Israel or the, or, or the Jewish people, uh, would indeed be saved. He said, I bear them witness that they have a certain zeal and enthusiasm for God, but it is not, somebody say not, enlightened and according to correct and vital knowledge. Now, that's very interesting. He's saying the Jewish community or the, or the Israelites, indeed, they have a zeal for God. He said, but it's, it's not with the correct mindset. They don't have the correct knowledge. They don't have the correct understanding. How I many guys know you can be excited about God and talk about God and even know God and still find yourself not in the position uh, of righteousness that God has created for you? See, it's not just good enough to say, I know God. It's not just good enough to say, I go to church. Uh, but, but this is targeting, Paul is being very specific here. He said, they, they are not enlightened according to the correct and vital knowledge. Well, let's just keep reading on about that. Verse 3 says, for being, what's that word? Ignorant. For being ignorant of the righteousness that God ascribes, which makes one acceptable to him in word, thought, and deed, and seeking to establish a righteousness. Uh, in, in your Bibles may have the same things mine has. In parentheses, it says, a means of salvation of their own. They did not obey or submit themselves to whose righteousness? Then this is very interesting. So let's, let's back up here. It says, I bear witness that they have a certain zeal and enthusiasm for God, but is not enlightened according to correct and vital knowledge. Then he goes deeper into it. He says, for being ignorant. Uh, what's, what's the first, if you take the root word of that word ignorant, what is that? Ignore. Not knowing, not paying attention to, or not understanding. Ignoring what? The righteousness that God ascribes. See, if there's a righteousness that God ascribes, then there's a righteousness that probably man ascribes. In the sense that what it's saying is, is listen, there's a free righteousness that has been given to you by what Jesus did. Or you could try to live by this righteousness based off of works, which the Israelites understood had its roots in law-based behavior. So they were trying to live 
to be right based on the law. But Paul is saying, listen, that's the wrong way. You're ignorant of the right way. The right way is to go after the righteousness that God ascribes. And there's only one way to have that righteousness be applied to your life. And it's not by the law. If you understand that, say amen. All right, let's keep going. He says they are seeking to establish a righteousness or being made right with God. They're seeking to be made right with God, which is the means to salvation of their own or on their own. Anyone who tries to be right with God or get saved by their own doing is not ascribing to the righteousness of God. I want to make that really simple and really plain. If I am trying to work this out, if I am trying to act right, talk right, do right, if I'm trying to do it all on my own to be right, then I am falling away from what God has set aside for me in the finished works of Jesus. And there's a better way. He said, they did not obey or, what's those last words? Read that with me. Submit themselves to God's righteousness. Now you might say, why are you having to say all these parts? Because I really want you to, to really see it. I mean, the word is so rich and it's so pregnant. It has everything I could preach right in it because that's what we ought to be preaching, amen? But, but literally, the answer, the solution to their problem was to do what it says right here. Submit themselves to God's righteousness. Not submit themselves to works, not submit themselves to the law, not submit themselves to trying to do everything right and be right and all that type of stuff. There's one thing they needed to do to get this thing right with God, which was just simply submit. Submit themselves to what? His righteousness, his way of being right. What was his way of being right? Jesus. That's all they had to do. Here, here up to this point, literally, they had to keep 613 laws and now it boils down to one simple thing. Submit to God's way to be right. What's God's way to be right? Believe in Jesus. Believe in what Jesus finished on the cross. And it was that simple, but I think it was almost too simple. Amen? You ever, you ever um, seen something happening or seen somebody try to solve a problem and, and the answer is so simple? They say, what if, if it was a snake, it would jump up and bite you or whatever like that. It's something so simple. But we're used to doing things the complex way or things being harder. And literally in this case, it was the same thing where they're like, listen, you used to have to do all that. You don't have to do that anymore. All you need to do is submit. Now, submission is a choice. No one can make you submit or come under anything. That's your free will that God gave you. And that word submit, that's what that means to come up under. And, and what they were doing was they were saying, no, I want to stay up under the law. The children of Israel were doing that, or the Israelites were doing that, Jewish people were doing that. And, and Paul is saying, but that's the wrong way. The right way is to come up under this new covenant, this word of God, uh, which is grace, which is Jesus, and say, I believe in what Jesus did. Come under the new way. He said, that's the way to do it. And it's so interesting because in the body of Christ today, somehow, even with this scripture, you see it's there, you're right in the face, right? Even with verses just one through three, we in the church put ourselves under that same yoke of bondage. I don't know when it happened, but it happened, amen? And, and we're, we're walking through this so that you can see how incorrect it is. I'll, I'll say that, Lord. As you grow in, how many of you guys are growing in studying your word? You're going home and you're studying a little deeper and everything like that. Yeah, now as you continue to study the word, one of the ways we stay out of these traps in the future 
is make sure, like we said before, you're reading things in context, read that entire chapter. Because how many times have we gone to Romans 10, 9, and 10 and never read 1 through 3? I mean, 1 through 3 has always been there, right? I didn't just put that there, right? Your Bible just didn't get an upload, right? <laughs> 1 through 3 has been there the whole time, but oftentimes we didn't read 1 through 3 because, I'm going to be honest with you, it didn't make sense to us. Because it contradicted what we believed and what we thought, which was, yes, I'm saved by believing and by confessing, but I still got to do something. And so we just kind of ignored verses 1 through 3, which said, listen, you're not going to be saved by your works. You're only going to be saved by submitting under God's righteousness. What's God's righteousness? Well, that's Jesus going to the cross, making you right with him because of his body and his blood, and now you're right with God. That was God's way. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, for who? For Christ is the what? Now that alone ought to just be the end of any self-effort and any law-based behavior, any I'm going to live by the law. Why would I try to live by the law if Christ is the end of that law? It's almost like here's the law and the law went all the way up to this point and now boom, Christ is the end of that. That's all behind me. Now there's just this grace walk before me. I'd rather pick up where Christ begins and just leave the law where it is. I said, I'd rather pick up where Christ begins and leave the law where it ends. Now, there's, good, there's, there's some good moral principles and things like that that are found in the law, but I don't need to necessarily go back there to grab them because they're all in Christ. We're going to look at that uh, as we continue to walk through this about the royal law of love and then the moral laws that were still existing even before there was a law. There were moral laws of just behaving right that existed that the Bible says that God wrote on all men's heart. But, but, but where Christ begins, that's where the law ends. Now let's say, let's talk about this in context. What it's saying is you used to have to be righteous through the law. But now you no longer have to be righteous through the law because Christ is on the scene. And because his blood is on the scene, because his body is on the scene, because he died and then he rose, he made you right. That's where righteousness by the law ends. Righteousness by the law has ended. You're like, how many more times are you going to say this? I'm going to say it until we get it. <laughs> righteousness by the law has ended. Righteousness by Christ has now began. And that is the plan until God returns. If you understand that, say amen. All right, let's keep going. Where are we at? Verse four still. For Christ is the end of the law, the limit at which it ceases to be. For the law leads up to him who is the fulfillment of its types. And in him, the purpose which it was designed to accomplish is what? Fulfill. What was it designed to accomplish? It was designed to show man his sin. And how many guys know the law did its job? Somebody said, well, wait, how does the law work? The law works by having all these rules 
There's three different categories of them, but all these rules that basically you have to live by. Well, not you, but Jewish people had to live by. And in order to be right with God, you couldn't break any of those rules. That's what the law was. But the way it worked was you really couldn't do it. God knew that. So he set it up to where the answer, who is Jesus, was going to come along and then he would die with perfect sacrificial blood. And as a result, you would now have someone to believe in so that you are now right. No longer trying to live by this law that was only designed to really point me to Jesus. But now I live by him. The law was designed to show me that I can't do this without God. I said, the law was designed to show me that I can't do this without God. This concept is really not as unfamiliar as you think. How many times have you, with your children, uh, sometimes seen them trying to do something? And you're like, no, don't do that that way. It's not going to work. But they're like, no, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And so sometimes what do you do? You just kind of step back and let them try. Because you know at the end of the day, they're not going to be able to do it. And that they're going to have to come to you and ask for your help and do it the way that you said in the first place. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The, the law was set up the same way. It was like, man was like, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And God was like, listen, no, you can't. And it was like, no, I can do it, Lord. I don't technically need you. I don't, I don't need your opinion. I don't need your way. Nothing necessary that we didn't love God, but I don't, I don't need to listen to you. I don't need to do it your way. Instead, I want to do it my way. So the law was the result of the my way. And God said, oh, okay, here you go. And just like that kid, I, I didn't want to give this example, but it's the example that popped in my head. You know, sometimes you get them kids be throwing themselves back, throwing themselves back. You be like, stop, you better stop, you better stop, you better stop. And sometimes you see them parents in the mall. I never did this, but they just, boom, and the kid, boom, ah crying and said, see, I told you, stop throwing yourself like that. And that's what the law is. People just throwing themselves into it, throwing themselves into it, throwing themselves into it. And it's like, stop. That's not the way. There's a better way. And, and, and what's so crazy is to this day, man is still trying to live by the way that was designed There's actually a scripture that says this, so I guess I can say it. It was designed to ultimately show you your sin, cause you that pain, show you that, listen, you need God. It was designed to actually hurt. That's why I was struggling with sin, but it's the truth. The law was designed to hurt. It was designed to show you, you guys remember I told you those things, you, there's two ways you learn through words or pain. Yeah, the word is Jesus, pain is the law. So I'm going to keep doing it this way, I'm going to keep doing it this way, and I'm hurting myself, I'm hurting myself, I'm hurting myself, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm cursed, I'm cursed, I'm cursed. Because remember, trying to live by the law and not fulfilling the law results in what? Not the blessing, the curse. And so there's so many people living under pain, living under a curse by choice because they're still trying to perform this law. The law was not designed to transform you. It was not designed to help you. It was actually designed to where it would hurt. I think it's time that we stop trying to live by the law. And that's what Paul was talking about with the Jewish folks. 
He said, uh, for the law leads up to him who is fulfillment of his types and in him the purpose which was designed to accomplish is fulfilled. That is, the purpose of the law is fulfilled in him as the means of righteousness, right relationship to God. To who? To who? Just women? Just men? Just kids? Just adults? You notice it equalized everybody. No matter your race, no matter your, your gender, no matter your age. It said, listen, this is for everyone who trusts in and adheres to and relies on him. Anybody who believes in Jesus gets in on this. What was the precondition? You needed to be a one of every and believe. That's it. If you are a human being and you believe on Jesus, you're the righteousness of God. The law has nothing to do any longer with your righteousness. If you understand that, say amen. All right, verse five. For Moses writes that a man who can practice the righteousness, perfect conformity to God's will, which is based on the law with all its intricate demands, shall live by it. So I, I wish I should have brought a board up here with me. So you have, you have Moses' way. And Moses' way says, here's Moses, here's the law. Uh, go to verse 5, guys. Yeah, here's Moses, here's the law. And then in the law, you have to literally live by it or do it. So Moses' law works. Moses equals the law equals work. Moses brought the law, which resulted in you having to work for the blessing. That's very important for you to understand as you continue to study the word of God, because in several places, especially in the New Testament, it begins to talk about the law of Moses and Moses. And sometimes because it's Moses, we read it and we think happy thoughts about it. But no, 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 no. Moses and the law equals works that you can perform, which equals the curse. Moses equals the law equals works that you can perform equals the curse equals you trying to work out your own righteousness equals you falling from grace. So whenever I read the law of Moses or Moses and the law, that's not a hurrah. You know, that's not talking about crossing over the Jordan or whatever like that. That's, that's, that's death. That's curse. That's falling from grace. I want to stay away from that as far as possible. If you understand that, say amen. All right, let's go to verse six. It says, that's what Moses brings. He brings the law, what did I say, works, which equals a curse, which equals fallen from grace. Verse six, but the righteousness based on what? Faith. So now we're not talking about works. We're talking about faith. The righteousness based on faith imputed by who? Imputed by God and bringing right relationship with him. This way says 
do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will uh, descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, as if we could be saved by our own efforts. Can't be saved by our own efforts. Now, now again, who imputed this righteousness based on our faith? So this comes directly from God. Notice it still didn't come from you. The old way through Moses came, uh, brought the law, which meant you have to work and then you make yourself righteous. Well, he makes you righteous, but you qualify for it by your works. This other way says no works, just faith, and God gives it to you. No works, just faith, and you're righteous. Let's keep going. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word, God's message in Christ. Now, you remember that statement I made on Sunday when I said it's all scripture, like the word, and some people said, ah, no, sacrilege. <laughs> it, it defines right here what the word is. The word, then what does it say? God's message in Christ. The word of Christ. The word in Christ, John 1, 14, it talks about, uh, you know, the word being truth and it being grace. And we know that's Jesus. The word of Christ, the word in Christ, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we're talking about right now. Jesus makes you righteous. Therefore, you're saved, not by works, but just by you believing. That's the actual word. That's the word. That's the good news. That's the gospel. I am not saying that the rest of the scriptures are worthless. That's not what I'm saying. The Bible clearly says that all scripture is God-breathed, and it brings instruction, and what's the rest of them, um, correction, and reprove, reproving. So all of that's at the, the scriptures, which is all of this, are definitely from God. Because I just told you that the, the part of it that's the law, which by the way, the law is not the entire Old Testament, you can find law all throughout the Old Testament, but the law is like, uh, it's about that much. So you got the law, but then you got the actual Old Testament, which points to the law, don't get me wrong, which goes up to Malachi. So all of that. But this part that starts at Acts, That's talking about the word. Now, yes, they cross-reference, they go back and forth. But again, it's important while you're studying the word of God, that the, the studying, sorry, the scriptures, and that you see in the word, where's Christ? Now, as you study this word, and then go back and look through all of scripture, you will start seeing the word all throughout of scripture. Are you understanding me, what I'm saying? Because the Bible talks about there's shadows of it there and then it's actually Christ is there. I mean, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that fire, guess what? The word showed up. Amen? So you're going to see the word all throughout the scripture, but don't get confused in saying, I need to live by all scripture. Because if you try to live by all scripture, you're going to get confused, you're going to get messed up, and the last thing, you, before you know it, you're going to be all of a sudden 
falling from grace because some scripture tells you you got to work this out on your own. And that's what's happened to the church. We said, oh, we're going to take all scripture and we're going to live by it. But God said, no, 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 no. It's by the word. The word, God's message in Christ is near you. It's on your lips and in your heart. That is the word, the message, the basis and the object of faith which we preach. This word is preached to you and it gives you faith. And then when that faith turns into your ability to trust God, that's how you become righteous. But if you're not studying the word and you're studying just all scriptures, then there's no reason why you're, no reason to wonder why your faith is messed up. It didn't say all scripture is going to give you faith. It said the word, which is about Christ, which is about Jesus. That's what's going to give you faith, that you are the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did. Can we take a second right here? Again, the word being preached to me. What's the word? The good news, the gospel, Jesus, grace. As that's preached to me, as that truth is preached to me, I will start to see, wait a minute, Jesus did everything that needs to be done. I am the righteousness of God. I believe that because I see it. But if I go and start trying to mix other stuff throughout scripture in there and don't rightly divide those scriptures, don't see them through the eyes of grace, don't see them through how Paul wrote about Jesus in the word, then I'll find myself mixing the old with the new now I, I'm not too sure if I'm the righteousness of God because I sinned the other day. I'm not too sure if I'm the righteousness of God because I didn't tithe last month. I'm not too sure if I'm the righteousness of God because I really don't like my family right now. All of a sudden, my righteousness becomes conditional. Why? Because I am wrongfully dividing or wrongly dividing all scripture. So this word is God's message in Christ. And it's near us. Verse 9, go to verse 9. It says, because if you acknowledge and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and in your heart believe, adhere to, trust in, and rely on the truth. What's the truth? Go ahead, just say it out. Say it out loud. Say that, wait, 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 okay. Say it out loud again. Yeah, that's true, but what's the truth? Uh-huh, Jesus. The gospel, I heard somebody say, yep, now we're on the right track. What's the truth about Jesus? What did he do? He paid it all. See, remember, it's not complicated. I know, and, and don't feel like, dang, I didn't know that. I just, no, 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 we're here to learn, we're here to grow. But that's the truth. It says, because if you acknowledge and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? And in your heart, believe. Believe what? Jesus is Lord. Oh, okay, but what does that mean? Adhere to, trust in, and rely on the truth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But the truth is not just God raised him from the dead. The truth is, is that he became the sacrifice for you and I. His blood was worthy of the sacrifice because he knew no sin. He died, atoned for your sins, and was then raised from the dead. 
Now here's the important part about him being raised from the dead. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're going to look at this together. And you're seated with him. Had he just died, he would have atoned for your sins, yeah, but you wouldn't be seated. He had to die and then ascend and then take the position of power and authority that you and I now share. Some of y'all looking at me like you don't believe that, so we're just going to skip right down to this real quick, and then we'll come back up to this. Glory to God. <laughs> Say, I'm seated with him. Go to Ephesians 2. Uh, no, no, no. Let's go to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. We'll start at verse 1. So we see that, you know, I got to believe, I got to trust, I got to, I got to rely on what? The truth. The truth is what? That he raised him from the dead. You got to know what happened after he raised him. Again, he was seated. Hebrews 1, 4 kind of talks about this. Go to the New Living Translation for me. Are you with me? All right. Let's see what happened and where Jesus now is. And as we read this, I want you to remember, I'm with him. Say that with me. Say, I'm with him. Come on, like you're getting into the club with Jesus. Say, I'm with him. Okay. God's promise of entering, what's that say? His rest still stands. I told you Jesus was your Sabbath, but let's keep reading. God's promise, of, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. What would cause me to fail to experience God's rest? Unbelief, works, falling from grace. Y'all got it. Give yourselves a hand on that. Somebody say, sin, not acting right. No, 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 no. Remember, all root of sin is unbelief. Me trying to work it out on my own causes me, makes common sense, not to rest. Tremor with fear, some of you might fail to experience it. Verse 2. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good. Why? Because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. Wow, that sounds quite similar to Romans 10, 1 and 2 and 3, don't it? Because he's referring to the same thing. He said, Gentiles, now you guys, you got a chance. The Jewish folks had a chance too, and they still do, but he's talking directly. He said, listen, God has prepared for you a rest. It's been announced to us just as it was announced to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith, the belief, the trust, the reliance, the adherence, the confidence in what God was saying of those who listened to God. Verse 3. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Notice it didn't say only we who act right. It said only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath they will never enter my place of rest. Talking about the children of Israel when they were wandering. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Did you know your rest existed since the beginning of this world? 
Tell somebody near you, find your seat. Your rest already exists. Verse 4. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. Now, interesting, it didn't say the word. It said the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God did what? Rested from all his works. Verse 5. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. Verse 6. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news, there's the gospel, there's the good news, failed to enter because they disobeyed God. Verse 7. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is when? That time is when? That time is when? You missed a good place to shout. Think about that. He said they missed it then, but your time is today. I don't care what day you read this, that's the day you can enter into his rest. Today is your day of rest. I tell you again, find your seat. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't Harden your hearts. We know that a hard heart will eventually lead to an evil heart of unbelief. Don't turn your mind off from this. Don't walk away from it. Uh, don't, don't allow yourself to become desensitized to what God is saying. Verse 8. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about it. Another day of rest still to come. What the world is he talking about there? Well, see, some people think them entering into the promised land was, was it. No, that wasn't it. Because if that was the case, why would he say there was another day of rest to come? The day of rest to come was the day that Christ went up on that cross and that he died and then he was resurrected. And then as a result, seats is now seated at the right hand of the Father and you're seated in that position of rest in him. That's the day of rest. It's the day that we now have position as well as authority and privilege seated with Jesus. That's your rest. That's the only thing that will stop you from sitting in your seat of rest is you. Still wanting to work it out. Still wanting to do it your way. No, let's trust God and let's get in this rest. Verse 9. So there is a special rest. Still waiting for who? For who? There's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Uh, we're going to come back to Hebrews in a minute, but go to a Matthew um, 11, 28. Matthew eleven twenty eight. It's interesting because uh, in some versions of the Bible, that, that Hebrews 4 section we just read, it has a kind of a subtitle on top. And guess what it's called? The Believer's Rest. Glory to God. There's a rest set aside just for you and I. And that rest is, I rest in what Jesus did. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and who are heavy laden. And I, oh, sorry, I'm reading, I'm 
Memorize the King James. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Hmm, I wonder what he's talking about. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find what? Rest for what? Why? Because he's saying, relax your mind. Let your conscience be free and get the novice plan. Um, he's saying, literally, relax your mind. All my 90s folk got that. Everybody else, anybody that got that. Uh, <laughs> but he's literally saying, you got to free yourself from all this mess, all these rules, all these to-dos. And he's saying, rest your soul. Why? Because it's done. You should find rest for your souls. Verse 30. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The only burden Jesus is giving you is believe. How many believers I got in the house? All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. As you're going there, three things I want you to realize that are required in order for you to have a seat. Somebody say, have a seat. Before you sit down, the first thing you got to do is you got to choose to sit. I just showed you in, uh, over in Romans that to submit, those things are your will to do. I got to make a decision that I'm going to let God's will become my will. As long as you are in the way, you won't rest. First thing you got to do is you got to choose to sit down. Some of us have a hard time just sitting down. Can I, can I mess with you just for a minute? Somebody's like, no. Because <laughs> you, you want to be in control or are you afraid can't nobody do it better than you and this, that, the other. And, 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 and so when it comes to God who you can't physically see, you really struggle truly sitting down. I'm talking about truly submitting. There used to be this saying that I used to hear all the time back at World Changers, and they were talking in Atlanta, and they were talking about uh, the spirit of rebellion and things like that. And they would say, you know, on the outside, little Johnny is sitting down, but on the inside, he's standing up. See, many of us on the outside, we're sitting down, but in the inside, we're standing up. On the outside, we have the perfect look of a Christian who has submitted. We, we look to be doing all the things right and we say all the right things, but on the inside, our minds are going. On the inside, we're disagreeing. On the inside, we're disobeying. On the inside, we're struggling. We're standing up, not realizing we're rebelling against God and, and therefore we can't rest. No, we need to learn how to sit, sit down on the outside as well as on the inside. Amen? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God is so rich in mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is, again, we've talked about this several times. It's when I deserve punishment. I've messed up, but I don't get the punishment I deserve. So he's so rich in that. And he loves us or loved us so much. Verse 5. That even though we were dead, how many of you guys know that death's not the end of you? I said, how many of you guys know that death's not the end for you and of you? How many of you guys know that death is not the end of you? 
See, you got to realize you're a child of the king. You got to realize that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. If death wasn't the end of Jesus, it ain't the end of you. Oh, your finances may be dead. Your marriage may be looking like it's dead. Uh, they may even said your womb was dead. Uh, they said your job was a dead-end job. But death is not the end for you. It's just the beginning of a resurrection. I declare resurrection in your life. Said that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When? When he raised Christ from the dead. Back to Romans 10, what was it, 9, I think 9 and 10. He said, you're believing in this truth? What, that he raised them from the dead? Now you're seeing why that's important. Because of what we're about to get to, but also because that's when you were raised. You got life when he was raised. I said, you got life when he was raised. So believing just in Jesus as Lord, you need to understand what that means. That means I'm believing that Jesus is Lord who was raised, and so now I was raised with him, and I got life. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Verse 6. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. Here's what happened. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. You don't have to try to be like him. You're united with him. You is him. See, some people don't like, to, no, I'm not, I'm not. You're united with him. You can't help but be who you are. Only person that's stopping you from being who you are is you. It's like that show Smallville. The only person that was stopping Clark Kent from flying was Clark Kent. You're Superman. All of us knew he was Superman. It's like, when's Superman going to fly? Superman supposed to fly. And there was one episode he was floating in the bed. Because in his subconscious, he was free to be who he was. But on the outside, he struggled. Are you ready to be who you are? Free raised with the dead. Uh, raised, he raised us from the dead alone in Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are not trying to be like Christ. We're united with Christ Jesus. Now, if I was you, I'd be saying, now, what in the world does that mean? We about to get all up into that. Verse uh, seven. So God can point us to, uh, sorry, so God can point to us in all future ages as his examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. There it is again. For God to try to make, to do all of this, and then to turn around and try to make you live by the law, would negate this entire scripture right here. Oh, he's trying to brag on you. Well, he's trying to brag on really himself about how good he is, and you're the example of how good he is. 
He's like, look at that little dirty joker right there. Look at that. I don't gave him a favor. I don't gave him righteous. Now, he was a drunk. He was this, that, and the other. She was a fornicator and this, that, and the other. And look, my, my son died for them. And, I, and, and look, I love them so much, I made them right despite of all their mess. That's how good I am. Then for him to turn around and say, now, I'm that good, but now you got to go rack right. To receive this good. It, it negates his goodness. It negates his mercy. It negates his grace. Now, because he's done that for us, we then in turn say, I want to live for you. Because I didn't deserve it. Because I was a no good adulterer, fornicator, drunken, whatever, whatever, whatever. So, Lord, change me so that I can be pleasing to you. Not pleasing to you for your righteousness. I already got that. Pleasing to you as your child. I want to represent you here on earth to others. I want your character. I want your attributes. I want, I, want to, I want to look like you look. And to look like you look is to look like your perfect image who is Jesus so I can look at him and see you and that's how I want to be. But see, we've had that mixed up. We've been trying to be like Jesus so we can be righteous. No, 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 no. You, you, I want to be like Jesus because I want to just honor God with my life for what Jesus did for me. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed, period. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. If I can't take credit for getting saved, I ain't going to be able to take credit for staying saved. I can't take credit for none of the salvation stuff. The only thing I can take credit for is, Lord, I love you, and now I'm going to live for you. I'm going to obey you. But I still can't take credit for the results of that, because that comes from him. I still can't take credit for the ability to do that, because he's the only one that's going to help me live that life right. Because how many guys don't say that to him? I love you, Lord. Thank you for everything you did. I'm going to live for you, and then you try it, and then you fall on your face. Anybody in the room, don't raise your hand. Just say amen. So I realize I still need your help. There is no part of this thing that I can do without you. Verse 9. And isn't that what he wanted us to know in the first place? There's no part of this thing you can do without me. If you take a note, if you ain't wrote nothing else out, I said, write that down. There's no part of this life that I can do without him. That's, that's the whole point. Verse 9. Salvation is not, somebody say not, not, a reward. I want you just to pause right there. I know it says for the good things we have done. We're going to get to that part in a minute. But we've been treating salvation like it's some finish line. Like it's some trophy. Like it's the Wimbledon plate or something like that. Like it's the gold cup. Salvation. And we, we probably wrote songs about it and stuff like that. My crown of salvation. No, 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 no. Salvation is a gift. It is not a reward. For it to be a reward would mean it's merit-based. That means you have to earn it. That means you have to perform. When people get a reward, it is a remuneration for work or effort that they put in. 
Salvation is not a reward. We have to change the way we think about it. Salvation is a gift given to no good sinners. Who because of Jesus became the righteous. And were made right with God and as a result now have access to all of his goodness that's given by grace. But it is not a reward in the sense that it's based on your efforts. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about salvation. None of us can boast. It's almost like you ought to say salvation with a whisper of respect. I'm saved. A tear ought to just roll down your eye when you say it. I'm saved. Because when you think about it, you think about God's love for you. You think about God's, God's favor. You think about Jesus, his sacrifice. You think about the plan from, from the formation of the world. Because remember, the word was there in the beginning. The plan was there in the beginning. The good news was there in the beginning. The grace was there in the beginning. God had this set up in the beginning. And then you say, and here I am in 2019, I'm saved. And he didn't just save me. He seated me with Christ. Guys, he didn't have to seat us with the Savior. The job could have been done by him just saving us. Because that's what some of us learned in church was that he saved us and now you're just a little higher than the angels but you're a little lower than Jesus. But that's not what it's, I said I'm united with him. I need, we got to rightly divide. He didn't just save you and put you in the middle of Jesus and angels. He could have done that but you just read scripture that proves that's not what he did. He saved you and then he raised you. And now you're seated with Christ. You gotta start asking yourself why? Why did he raise me to this level? Why did he raise me to this position? Why did he give me this power? Why do I have this authority? Because surely it's not just to sit. Ephesians uh, 1.18. Let's go there real quick. I'm trying to stay calm. <laughs> Ephesians 1.18. It says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand. That's what we're doing tonight. We're gaining understanding. So that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Verse 19, what have you inherited from God? I also pray that you will understand, somebody say, I'll understand, the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is, this is interesting. 
I'm seated with Christ. I'm united with him. I've been given this position. He got power. And if he got power, what I got? Now, I just don't have any power. Whose power I got? I got God's power. I got God's power here on earth. Didn't Jesus have God's power here on earth? Where do you think that power went? It went with him. Where is he who is Christ? Where is he? And where is he also as it relates to earth? In you. He brought his power with him. I need you to see what it says. I also pray that you'll understand. That's Paul was telling the church of Ephesus. I hope you get what I'm trying to say. I hope you understand. I hope your minds are enlightened to what I'm trying to say. Is if you're saved and if you're the righteousness of God and if you're seated with him and if Jesus had all that God dog on power, then guess what? You got it too. This is the same mighty power, verse 20, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. There's one scripture, and I think we may hit it, or this may be the one in the dripping translation, but it calls that seat at the right hand the, the seat of power. You, you're, it's not Jesus seated on the right and I'm seated on the left. No, 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 no. You're united with him. You sit in a place of power. Oh, yeah, I know we just learned in Romans 5, 2 that we stand in a place of undeserved privilege. That's what made you righteous. But now because you are the righteousness of God, because you are a child of God, you also, while standing in this place of undeserved privilege, you sit in a place of power. You stand in a place of privilege and you sit in a place of power. You stand in this place of undeserved privilege and therefore you sit in a seat of power. Verse 21, now he is far above any ruler, talking about Jesus, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Go to the Amplified in this. Now he's talking about this is Jesus, he's far above any ruler, authority or power or anything else to come. If Jesus is far above that, where are you? I'm far above it too. There you go. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Some of these spiritual demons and all this type of stuff. And every name that is named above every title that can be conferred. Not only in this age, in this world, but also in the age and world which are to come. And you are seated with him. You ain't got to bow down to no spirit other than the spirit of God. You have authority. You ain't got to worry about no demon messing with you. You ain't got to worry about no ghosts. You ain't got to worry about no Annabelle. No it, no none of that. that did you, it, well, that stuff, you know they say that stuff is real. It might be real, but I'm realer. And I got the authority of God on the inside of me. 
I am seated with Jesus and I, I, uh, the name that is on the inside of me that's stamped on my heart is greater than anything, including a spirit of depression, including a spirit of suicide, including a spirit of poverty, including any spirits of lack, any spirits of disease, including the name of cancer. It's, it's above every name. I got power and, and my name is is is. Jesus on the inside of me and I, I take on that and as a result it, it can't touch me. Amen. You see why it's so important to hear the word? You see how the word being preached builds up your faith? Because all of a sudden cold can't touch me. I'll say that, Lord. I don't know who this is for here or on that screen, but can't no STD. Now, let me be specific. He says syphilis can't touch you. You're healed in Jesus' name. Can't no STD touch you. You're healed in Jesus' name. AIDS can't touch you. You're, it's a name. Verse 22. And he has put how many things? We used to sing that song, it's under my feet. Okay. And he has put all things under his feet and has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship exercise throughout the church. This is where we get Satan's under your feet. This is where we get sicknesses under your feet. This is where we get poverty's under your feet. Those things have no authority in your life. The only thing that will allow that stuff to operate in your life is unbelief in everything we just read. Ultimately pointing to an unbelief in Jesus and what he's done. I don't know about you, but I'm a believer. I'm a believer in everything that he did for me. So if Jesus is sitting, why are you standing? If Jesus is sitting, why are you standing? Sit your behind down. Rest. Go to Matthew 26, 64. Let's look at these different scriptures talking about Jesus being seated as we get ready to close up. Matthew 26, 64. And uh, I think we'll look at the NLT for these. Do I need to go there? Okay, let's turn it. Matthew 26, what'd I say, 64? All right, if it pops up, let me know. Every time. Okay, Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future, you will see who? The Son of Man doing what? Seated where? Remember what I was talking to you about, about you got to be careful how you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because... Jesus had two ministries. One, he was fulfilling the law, but the other one, he was talking about things to come. He was talking about grace to come. This is one of those great examples where he's telling them, this is what you're going to see. Now, if you don't rightly divide this, you'll think this ain't happened yet. You'll say, oh, this is going to happen when he returns. 
after revelations or in revelations, he's going to come back and speak. No, no, no. He was talking about as soon as I die and I'm rose, or not I'm rose, you know what I mean. There's a resurrection. <laughs> I will be seated. And we just read the scriptures that confirm when he was talking about. So he said, you have said it. And in the future, talking about after his death, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power, where? At God's right hand. That's that scripture I was talking about earlier, that his right hand is the place of power. And coming on the clouds of heaven. I said, you're seated in the place of power. Mark 16, 42. Mark 16, 42. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? Mark 16, 42. Uh, I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. It says, oh wait, there ain't no 42. I wrote the wrong one down. Let me see if it's 12. Don't you hate when you be typing, you type too fast? Okay, we'll come back to that one because I got a bunch of other ones. Uh, Luke twenty two sixty nine. 69. Let's go to that one. Luke twenty two sixty nine. 69. Yeah, I remember back in the day when like, everybody had like regular Bibles and then all you hear is shh when people are uh, turning their pages. Now it's like silent. <laughs> Luke twenty two sixty nine. I'm going to read this out of the NIV first and then I'm going to go to the Amplified. Uh, it says, but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. The Amplified says, but hereafter, from this time on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of power. Of who? Of God. I'll say again, you are seated in a place of power. Let's go back to Ephesians 1.20. I think we read this one earlier. Ephesians 1.20. In the Amplified, it says, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand, where? In heavenly places. Colossians 3.1. Colossians 3.1 and the Amplified, it says, if you have been raised with Christ to a new life, thus sharing his resurrection from the dead, aim at and seek the rich eternal treasures that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, what does that mean? I've been raised to a new life and I share his resurrection from the dead. You remember that scripture we read earlier that said you were once dead in Christ? I'm sorry, you were dead in your sins? See, that's what he's talking about. When you were raised, he was dead in, in physical body. He was never dead in that sense, in, 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 in that sense, because he, he knew no sin. But we were dead in sin, not right with God. And when he rose, we rose. We we're dead in sin, but when he rose, we had a death to sin. We're dead to sin. 
I said we're dead to sin and we're alive in Christ. We used to be dead to Christ and alive in sin, but now you're dead to sin and alive in Christ. You don't have to sin no more. I hear you, but why do I? Because you've got to renew your mind. You have to allow God to transform you, but you're dead to sin. That's why you're no longer a sinner. If you understand that, say amen. amen. Hebrews uh, 8.1. You see, all these scriptures talk about we're seated with who? With Christ. And it tells you where he's seated. He's seated at the right hand of God. Uh, I'll read this out of the NIV first and then skip over to the Amplified. It says, now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Verse 2 says, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Now the main point in the Amplified, now the main point of what we have to say is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. As officiating priest, a minister in the holy places and in the true tabernacle, which is erected not by man, but by the Lord. And Hebrews 12, 2. Hebrews 12, 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured what? He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand throne of God. Verse 3 says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Uh, in the Amplified, I'm going to start at verse 1 and go all the way down to verse uh, 3. It says, therefore, sent, therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the what? What, what is that a capital T? Who, who, who is that talking about? I told you he was the truth. He's the word. We're not just banging that up. It says, he is the truth. Since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses who have borne testimony, those witnesses have borne testimony. If you read by, right before this, they're talking about all these people who walked in faith. They've they borne testimony of Jesus, the one who makes us righteous. That's the truth. He says, since you have all this evidence presented to you, that's what witnesses do, by the way. They, they give you evidence. Think about a court case. The witnesses get up on the stand and they give testimony that is used as evidence. So he's saying, since you have all this evidence based on the testimony of all these witnesses, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, every unnecessary weight. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy burden. I'll give you rest. Put the weights to the side. I'll give you rest. Put the weights to the side. Sit down in your rightful place of power. Let us lay aside every unnecessary weight and that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us. The root of all sin is un indeed unbelief. And let us run 
with patient endurance and steady and active persistence, the appointed course, the appointed course, the appointed course, not the course of the law, the appointed course, what's the course that he was warning the Jews were not willing to follow? What's the course that he was saying, hey, this is the wrong way to think, this is the wrong way to live, this is the right way. The right way is the race that is a race of grace. They were on that race that was for Moses, that was the race of the law. That's the wrong race. The race of self-effort is the wrong race. He's saying, run the appointed course. This is not just talking about running your purpose of why God has put you here on earth. That's a part of it, but it's, it's not referring really to that. He's saying, listen, the race you're supposed to be running is a race of righteousness that was given to you by Jesus. And believing in that and not in your own works. Let us run the race that's been set before us. Uh, verse 2. Looking away. Somebody say looking away. From all that will distract. From what? Anything that's going to distract you from Jesus. Think about Peter stepping out that boat. And he had his eyes on Jesus. But he looked away towards the distractions. And what happened? He began to sink. So you got to make a decision. I'm going to look away from the distractions. Your face is on the distractions right now. He's saying, look away from that and look at me. Look away from the thing that will tell you you have to earn this. You have to make this happen. you got to work this out and look at me. Because when you look at me, you will be reminded that you're the righteousness of God, not by your works, but by what I've done. So if I delivered you, you're delivered. Look at me and you'll be reminded that I've already worked out everything that concerns you. Look to Jesus who is the leader and the source of our faith. Some of you, I want, I want more faith. Jesus is the source of your faith. You have all measure of faith because you got Jesus. Your faith might not be in action because you're looking away from your source. How can I say this? To look away from your source is almost like for me to unplug this microphone from its power pack. If I take this away from this, you will no longer. But when I am connected to the source, all of a sudden it works. You have faith. Jesus is like this power. You, you got Jesus, so you got all that you need. But to look away is to disconnect. He's still on, he's connected. But to fall away from grace is to disconnect yourself from your faith. And as a result, things don't work. Not because you're a bad person. Not because God doesn't love you. Not because you're not the righteousness of God. It's you're looking away from him. He's saying, look away from the problem. And look at me who is indeed the one who has given you all this promise. He's the source of our faith. Giving the first incentive for our belief. Giving the first incentive of our belief. And it's also its finisher. He's the finisher. God, dog it. <laughs> you, you're not the finisher. He's the finisher. He's the one who brings it to maturity and perfection. He's the one who works it out for you. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize 
that was set before who? Oh, I thought it was my prize. Did you read what I just read? He, for the joy of obtaining the prize. It was his reward. He worked it all out. Not us. And he gave us his prize as a gift. Salvation was a reward for him <laughs> that he gifted to us. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, he did the work. He endured the cross, despising the ignoring shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse three. Just think of him. Do that now. Just think of him who endured for sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself. Reckon upon and consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you may not grow weary or exhausted, losing heart and relaxing and fainting in your minds. What is he saying? He's saying the same thing we studied a couple of weeks ago in John 16, 33. Go to, turn there real quick as, I, as we end right now. He said, listen, you may be going through some tribulations and trials. You may have some stuff going on, but be of good cheer because I've already overcome all of that. I have told you these things so that in me you might have perfect peace and confidence, assurance that you're right, assurance that you're saved, assurance that God is not punishing you. In the world, you're going to have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration, but be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and conquered it for you. Then I set you with me and gave you my power so that you can keep it under your foot. So don't ever complain, Lord, help me. He said, I helped you. I defeated it, I overcame it, and then I gave you the power to keep it away. You have the victory. And if Jesus is done working and is seated in a place of power, then why are you up working like a sinner? It's time to take your seat. Your rightful place with Jesus at the right hand of God, which is your place of power. Amen? Amen. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. Did you get anything out of that? Amen. Well, Father God, we just thank and praise you right now, and I pray over every heart in this room, over every heart that's watching on the screen. Father, and I thank and praise you right now in the name of Jesus. We are seated in the place of power. We stand in a place of undeserved privilege, and as a result, we are your children. We believe this on today, and we thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done to make this possible. And we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. So we count it all joy, no matter what we're going through. Because we declare, and we decree out of our mouths, that all is well.
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on and give God another hand clap of praise. I tell you what, you got power. You got authority. Now you got to speak it, guys. You got to speak it like Romans 10, 9 and 10 talked about, um, 9 through 10 talked about uh, what you believe, you speak. What's in your heart, you speak. How does God get stuff done? He spoke it. Jesus got stuff done speaking it. You know how you gonna do it? You're made in his image. Speak. Speak. Confess the word. What if I can't say that? Shut up until you can speak the word. And then speak. Jesus has already given me this. I declare it so. It's done. I'm the healer. I'm delivered. I'm set free. Be specific. I got increase. I got promotion. Because I got the plans of God in my heart. And Lord, it's going to require more finances than what I got. It's going to require a vehicle. It's going to require all my relationships to be lined up right. I declare and I speak over all of that. My kids act right. All is well. You got to start declaring these things in, in line with your authority. And, and speak what you know is the truth based on what the truth has provided for you. Amen. You, you, you're going to see, just like me, your, your whole language is going to start changing up. How you, you know, that Christianese talk we used to do? Half of it was backwards, apparently. So, so now we got to relearn this stuff. But it's okay. And as, as this stuff wakes up in you and, and bears witness with your spirit and you're praying, you're going to feel there's something in your spirit say that, that ain't, that ain't it. That's not the right way. You, you, you asking for something that's done. Don't fight that and just, well, it's okay. No, 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 no. You're going to harden your heart to what God has taught you. You're going to harden your heart to what, because Jesus said he'll teach you. Uh, Holy Spirit's your teacher. And, and you're going to harden your heart to what you are learning. That's possible. It's possible to hear everything you heard tonight, agree with it, and then go home and start trying to practice the old ways and become hardened to what you're, what's currently being poured out before you. No, be, 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 uh, be a barefooted priest in that sense where you're being very sensitive as you walk forward, filling everything and making sure you're staying on the smooth paths as the Holy Spirit leads you. So I just, I'm going to keep praying for your sensitivity just to continue to increase as you're learning and these things are being revealed to you. Amen? Amen. I should have told you to get your offerings and stuff, uh, your tithes and offerings and all that ready while I was talking. But uh, uh, feel free to do that if, if, you got, uh, if you're giving my text. Do that up on the screen. You can just tell I got so much more, man, that I want to get into. But y'all got to go home and go to bed. I might just stay up here and just preach it to myself. Uh, but... I'm telling y'all, it's just so much, man. It's just so much. If you haven't already began, I mean, like, go back and read Romans and Ephesians and Colossians. You know, read these scriptures because it's all—it's all right here, isn't it? It's all right here, but 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 it's just like we just had a little covering over us, and now it's been ripped back, and now we're just like, whoa, look at this. So, I tell you what, we will take our city here in Houston by the gospel of grace. 
Folks are going to get to hear this word, men, and their lives are never going to be the same again. So you get them here. You get them here. And then let God do the thing he needs to do with them. Amen? Amen. Uh, take those offerings, raise them up. Father, we thank and praise you right now in Jesus' name. These are already blessed. The seed has everything within it to do, to do the job. So we declare and set ourselves in agreement with the blessing that is over every seed that's in the house. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory, honor, and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, you may serve the people. If you're in this room, you need prayer for salvation, uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit, or if you want to join the church, then come on down here to the front. We'll pray with and for you. Uh, I think everybody here may be okay. Uh, going once, going twice. So to Jesus. All right. Uh, so you are good to go. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as we prepare to be dismissed. Raise your hands right where you're at. Father, we just thank you for this day. Hallelujah. Just give God praise for a minute. Just thank him. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for revelation. Thank him for his peace. Thank him for uh, him being our rest. Oh, we just thank you, Jesus. No more work. Thank you, Jesus, to be righteous. We thank you for your goodness in every area of our lives. Now unto you, Jesus, who is able to keep us from falling. You're the one who presents us faultless before God Almighty. To you be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. We leave out of this church today, out of this building, out of these constructed four walls. We go in your grace, in your favor. We are your righteous. And I thank you that as we go out into this world, may we become seeds planted in every environment that we come into contact. And we thank you that the fruit of love grows out of us for righteousness is our root. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the glory, honor, and praise for the souls that are one and the lives that are changed because of your work through us. And I thank you as you continue to work in us, renewing our minds. We're free from any sin and from any bondage. We believe it and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on and give God a hand clap of praise for that. Amen. Woo. So as you head out of here, you go out in peace. Amen. And you just enjoy this anointing that's all over this room right now. And you just, you just have a great night. I declare a sweet peace will sleep over you in Jesus' name when you get home. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We love you guys so much. You are dismissed.